In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. Once again, it's a victory non-podcast. I'm here with Ian Right, Right, Right. Ian, how are you? Good, 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 good. Wow. Ian sounds very good. We're actually driving from Cincinnati to Chicago right now. And so apologies for any background rain or noise. And let's talk about the Browns. Another loss, Ian. How do you feel about that? Well, unfortunately, Paul Brown's epic arrival at Paul Brown Stadium did not go as we all would have liked. The first things I noticed about the stadium was it felt so small. But then when I did some Google searches, I believe it's only 2K less than the First Energy Stadium. But I would say it feels like First Energy Stadium is 10, 20K more people. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. When you're inside the stadium, you know, they have the three decks on each side, and then the one end zone um, only has one level of seating, whereas the other end zone has two levels. But yeah, you're right. When you asked me that question in the stadium, I would have guessed that it was a good 10,000 less than First Energy. But Google doesn't lie. It does sometimes lie in. But I thought the atmosphere was quite an Ohio crowd, quite a, I'd say 60, 40, 60 to Bengals. 40% Browns, both quite lively, but the stadium didn't feel like it was rocking. Yeah, it was odd. Um, you know, for the most part, Bengals fans were very cordial. I mean, when you're a 1 in 14 team playing, another team that's not in the playoffs, you know, the players play with pride and the fans just come up with creative things to make fun of each other about. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, it was tame. Um, there was a couple of Bengals fans that had funny things to stay in the uh, in this stadium but other than that it wasn't a wild and crazy stadium and yeah I'd say you know just over maybe half Bengals half Browns it really was not all that much uh, it really wasn't that much different from like a home crowd experience that's for sure okay we've got a phone call coming in we're not doing live uh, phone-ins on this show we could do if you wanted actually Ian, but um, I don't think we're gonna do this but the other thing I want to say was I just felt that the Bengals whole running the game day experience was 10 years behind it just felt like all the games I've been to this season it felt like it was just I don't know just outdated outdated yeah, yeah. like the cheerleaders were in tracksuits the they had one chant they kept on doing on the big screen it was it was not a great NFL experience in my eyes yeah, the, the, the Bengals, unfortunately, their owner is a bit on the uh, frugal side. You know, they're the only team in the NFL that does not have an indoor practice facility. So Mike Brown does not really, I don't think, invest a lot in the game day operations. There really isn't much going on. You're right. They pretty much repeat the same thing on the scoreboard a few times. Not it, Really, there's no renegade like the Steelers do. There's really nothing to get you all that fired up. Pretty docile crowd overall. 
Anyway, let's talk about our favourite. Let's rate the offence out of 10. And Ian, last time this season, what are you going to go with? You know, I thought at times they looked really good. We scored on three long touchdown passes, but then unfortunately we couldn't run the ball for anything. So I'm going with a five. I think five's a average. It was definitely a game of high and lows. Some things, you know, Baker throwing interceptions or, and close interceptions, and that was obviously worrying. Yeah, I mean, he ended the day three touchdowns, three interceptions. We didn't really get anything going on the running game, and I think Baker finished 12 of 27, so a very subpar completion percentage. But they did hang 23 points. Um, Beckham made an outstanding catch in the corner of an end zone. Landry had a beautiful catch. Ratley had a beautiful catch. It was definitely a game with a lot of highlights, but it definitely showed some of the major weaknesses that the Browns need to address in the offseason. One stat I noticed was here, but there was no tight ends received today. Yeah, the only one that got a target was Demetrius Harris, and it was more on a dump off. Um, so yeah, not, not a lot of action from uh, the stretching man, Mr. David Njoku. Yeah, and Juke, as we saw on the side, he was sitting there one minute, one and a half minutes on his own. I think it's either Freddie going or Njuku going, and we can talk about this later on. But yeah, it didn't look very good from a body language point of view. How do you think the O-line did today? Oh, uh, you know, it, it was funny. At the end of the day, I looked over and I said, how many sacks did the Bengals have? And I was actually shocked that he was only, yeah, I think Baker was sacked six times, I think, six, because I would have guessed almost 10. It just seemed like every time he dropped back, Sam Hubbard was whipping around one edge or Jermaine Pratt was whipping around the other edge. The Browns offensive line today struggled mightily. Um, we actually were sitting about 12 rows off the field right behind the Browns bench. So uh, when Wyatt Teller got benched for Justin McCray, uh, we got to see the fireworks that was that, that that ensued. But overall, the Browns' offensive line today struggled mightily. The, the Bengals definitely were the more physical team. They dominated in the run game. Baker was running for his life most of the game. Yeah, definitely, definitely not one that the uh, offensive linemen are going to want to hang their hats on. No Higgins. So in the wide receiver room, Good numbers from Landry and uh, OBJ. Both got touchdowns today. Both hitting a thousand, if I'm correct. So yeah, I first think first time in Browns history, we had a 1,000 yard rusher and two 1,000 yard receivers. Well, in the whole of Browns history, whole Browns history. You know, that's a good stat to be proud of. Yeah, but we, as we've talked, they're a top-heavy team. You know. Damian Ratley had a beautiful catch today for a touchdown, which was nice to see. And Kaderil Hodge had a very nice catch for a first down on a, uh, a long third third to gain. So we had at least a contribution from those guys. But overall, you know, I think Higgins has been a massive disappointment. And we just don't have the depth that we thought we were going to have on offense. Um, and it really showed uh, when, it, when you look at the stat line and you see Pretty much after Ratley, it was a, a drop-off after the season, so Browns will have to address that. Yeah, it looks like we've got four wide receivers coming back next year, and we definitely need to go out and get at least a, a couple more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we also have to do something 
to majorly address the right side of the offensive line. I think Chris Hubbard probably had his worst game um, that I've seen in a little while. He was just, he was on skates. There was communication issues. There was, you know, Wyatt Teller obviously being benched. Um, there was a couple times where Treader let a linebacker run free through the hole. You know, they just, they really got to shore up the right side of that line because Baker definitely is not comfortable in the pocket. His feet move. He's erratic. It's just, it's tough. They, they definitely could not get into a flow on offense because every time they did, there was pressure, a sack, and, you know, and they just weren't able to connect and capitalize. Yeah, really interesting there, Ian, because we all know how expensive O-line are in free agent, and you know there's not so many of them out there, you know, but like, we talk about replacing Hubbard, but, you know, what is out there, you know, we can draft someone high, doesn't mean they're going to start, and that there may be no one suitable out there in free agent. Yeah, they need to bring back Kendall Lamb. I think he had a sizable difference over uh, Hubbard out there on the right-hand side. I'm not opposed to bringing back Wyatt Teller. Uh, Drew Forbes is obviously going to be in the mix. You have a swing guy in Eric Cush. Who knows if he, he's back. But, yeah, they definitely need to go out and find somebody. I'm just not a fan of addressing the O-line in the first round. I think we need somebody athletic and a playmaker on defense. Um, so if they want to go out and you know find somebody in the, uh, in the free agency market that's going to help add some depth to that line, I would definitely uh, be in favor of that. Well, it's definitely a show we've got to do with Jack is actually look about cap space, who's available, who should we cut, you know, who should we replace. But, um, yeah, so yeah, I think five's a fair number for the uh, offense today. At times they look good, at times they look bad. And you can really tell that when the Bengals knew we were going to run the ball, we do not have the ability to impose our will on a team and run it at will. You know, a number of times you just watched just penetration all through the O-line, you know, just not getting good push. Greg Robinson got put on skates a couple times today. So, you know, I think if Dorsey's staying, they definitely need to look and see how they can shore that up uh, because it's it really hinders the offense a lot of times. And there was numerous times I saw Baker going over to Kareem Hunt, going over to Nick Chubb, going over to the offensive line, trying to get guys fired up, like talking to them, saying, hey, what can I do? What can I do? Him and J.C. Treader talked several times during out the game. you know. But I think the running backs had a little bit of trouble today in pass protection. So overall, as a unit, they just need to get better at that because it definitely was an area of weakness today. Well, let's switch it to the defense. Obviously, the D-line has been... Uh held together with plasters and tape and anything um, that they could possibly find. But uh, what number are we going to go with, In Well, a couple weeks ago in Arizona, I went with a zero. I think last week I went with, what, a, th a two and you gave it a three. I think I'm going to split the difference. I think I'm going to go with a one. Wow. I thought the defense struggled mightily. And, you know, I will say, being there in person and watching it live, the guys do try hard. You know, Porter Gustin is out there busting his ass every single play. You know, Brian Cox is busting his ass out there. The problem is they just aren't as talented as you need to be to be a starter in the NFL. I thought Olivier Vernon showed a lot of guts today being out there. Denzel Ward had a nice interception. Demarius Randall is lost in the sauce. I don't think he knows where to be half the time. But he got an interception, though. No, he dropped it. Did he? Yeah, he dropped that interception. <laughs> oh. Joe Schobert remains your best linebacker. Sheldon Richardson remains your best defensive lineman. 
Um, Larry Ogunjobi made a play or two today. But ultimately, they would have got a higher grade if they could have done one thing. The Browns turn the momentum. Odell Beckham, fourth and 20. Beautiful touchdown. They punt, They kick the ball off to the Bengals, and what do the Bengals do? They go marching down the field like a warm knife through butter to kick a field goal to put them up two scores. The defense had one job. Get a third down and end it. And get, you know, they converted, I think, got a third and seven, a third and four. They earned the game a third and 14. Get off the field. You know, you have one job. Get the ball back to Baker Mayfield. Have them punt. You got the momentum. You're down seven. Get the ball back. They didn't do it. So, just overall, and I'm not saying that Steve Wilkes, you know, is the worst defensive coordinator. I heard that Sheldon Richardson was really sticking up for him in the postgame. But at the end of the day, they got to get some more athletic guys on that field because you can just see we are devoid of talent when Miles Garrett is off that field. I think everyone knows I've always been a Greg Williams fan. And, you know, I've, I had faith in Greg Williams at times when we're up against it that, you know, they would stop to stop the play and get the offense on the field and I think it's just our defense at the moment I had so much I drafted them in all three of my fantasy leagues yeah I thought they were going to be creating turnovers left and right throwing all over they had one defensive touchdown all year and now yeah look at them now Uh, I I don't know where we finish in the league bottom yeah really Uh, we're we're in the bottom we're probably in the bottom five defenses in the league, especially in the second half of the season. I mean, they got gashed. The Bengals have a terrible offense, and I mean, they just were up and down the field on us all day long. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. Dalton was completing passes at will. It was just overall just a rough day for the defense. 33 points to the garbage-ass Bengals. How do you think we did in the aspect of the linebackers? Um, Schobert looked to have a lot of energy, as, as we mentioned during the game. Yeah, Schobert side down the sideline, making the tackles, you know, doing doing things at a very good level. Not an elite level, a very, very good level. I would really, really appreciate it if they brought him back because at this point, all the other linebackers terrify me. Mac Wilson is athletic, but sometimes gets, you know, directed away from the passes by the quarterback in zone coverage. He misses tackles in the run game. He has trouble he had trouble covering some of the tight ends today. Overall, Joe Schobert is your only starting linebacker. The rest of them all, God, we need help. And then moving over to the uh, defensive backs, you've got obviously Ward, I thought played well today. Greedy Williams, I didn't see a lot of him out there. I saw pass interference and about four missed tackles. So We can obviously go into more detail about this during the week, but... You know, we're all expecting a first first round talent from him. Do you think it's too early to write him off? Oh, absolutely. I think he has a lot of talent. I just think he has a couple technique things he needs to work on. On the pass interference, he got his hands high on Tyler Boyd, ended up hooking the shoulder pad. Um, on a deep ball to, I believe, John Ross. It was down in, the, in front of us. Um, it was a comeback route. He got spun around. Um, Justin Burris ended up having to make the tackle, but... You know, I just think technique-wise, he has a lot to work on, and I, I think they—he's got the talent. He just needs to get better at t- uh, some of the technical skills. One position room I'm really worried about is obviously the safety room. Yeah. That safety room could be totally rebuilt next year. 
Yeah, Sheldrick Redwine um, was turned into a speed bump a couple times today by Joe Mixon. I mean, he got just flattened. Um, Eric Murray. So the Browns were doing this thing in the first half because they couldn't get pressure with four. They were blitzing Eric Murray, you know, from each side of the uh, each side of the line, which is fine. The problem is the Bengals figured it out real quick, started running screens and counters behind it, and were gashing us for 40 yards down the sideline. So they quickly had to go away from that, go back to their big nickel with Redwine, Randall, and Murray. And while effective, you know, it's just none of those guys. Randall, like I said, just having a down here. Redwine was a uh, you know a, a speed bump. And Eric Murray is a limited player. I mean, he's a good backup safety. Yes, yeah, going to be interesting what we draft, who we draft. I think we could just take best talent in each position at the moment with how many holes we've got to uh, fill. Obviously, if you listen to the podcast, I do believe that we should be taking quality players versus... Um, Quality, filling quality positions first, not just taking the best possible talent, but it does feel like we have got holes all over this roster. Oh, absolutely. And the problem, again, I said it before, the team is not tough. They're not a physical team. They're a finesse team. You know, so they really need to find a measure of physicality. They need to look into the draft and find some just dogs. They need to find some guys that are going to play you know, I obviously don't know what the future of Christian Kirksey is, but they just have a big hole at linebacker. You know, so if you can find an Isaiah Simmons by losing the game, you move up in the draft. You know, I wouldn't mind a guy like that. We saw him last night make an interception uh, in the Ohio State game. That's another sensitive subject we will not get into. But at the end of the day, we need some physicality because the Bengals were more physical than us on the offensive side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. We're currently drafting at 10th which puts us in a reasonably good position. And, uh, yeah, some of these top talent could drop down to 10th. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think you're going to have your quarterbacks go at the top. And I think if a team goes with, like, one of the, you know, Jedrick Willis or one of those offensive tackles early, you could see them drop. You know, there's not – there's CeeDee Lamb. Um, so – and then you have the other kid from LSU, um, Chase, Jamar Chase. You know, those are your two top wideouts. But, yeah, I hope that, you know, one of those linebackers or one of those safeties, you know, somebody that's going to give us some physicality. Pass rusher, not so much. Um, I would just like to see us address offensive line, not in the first round. So let's get tough there in free agency and later, and let's get ourselves a defensive playmaker at the top half of the first round. So, yeah, so just to ask you, just to be really clear, Nate, your top three positions in the draft, what positions would you like us to see? I would say we need a linebacker, a defensive tackle, and an offensive tackle. Those are the three positions that I would look. And I'd put safety right. If you get a guy like Simmons, which is that linebacker safety, then you can fill a void kind of in both levels. Um, But outside of that, I'd probably put safety as my number four. Yeah, I think I'd go with... I think I'd go with... Defensive end, and I know that um, we've got Vernon on one, but even if we have a third defensive end, just to rotate all, all of them or some play inside as well, just to see what Sam Fran have done this year with just their pure defensive powerhouse. And uh, as people say, you win Super Bowls with your defence, so in, invest in that defence. 
and just get an absolute rock solid defence. Obviously, get the O line fixed, and then obviously some safeties. Yeah, and they just need to they need to plug the holes. I mean, there's no doubt the games are won and lost in the trenches, and we saw that against Baltimore. They were more physical in the trenches than us. We saw it in Pittsburgh, same. And today in Cincinnati, they were more physical in the trenches. We have to change that. If you're going to play football in the AFC North, you need to be tough. Well, we've gone with five for the offense, one for the defense. What are we going to go with the special teams? You know, I thought they had a great day. I'm going with a solid eight. Um, that first punt, you know, one of my, my buddy Mike was at his first game this season, and I told him before the game, I said, you know, it's kind of odd to be a little bit in awe of a punter. But I go, just wait till the first time you hear the ball come off of Gillen's foot. First punt, he just monster shots this thing. 62 yards, beautiful hang time, great kick coverage. You know, and I thought it just set the tone on special teams. I thought Gillen had a great day punting the ball. I thought our kickoff return gave us a little boost. You know, opening drive, big return. Later on in the game, another big return. Um, you know, obviously the only one faux pas, which ended up not meaning anything, was Seibert uh, missing the extra point. But I will, t- I will share with you a story that I witnessed on the sidelines. So Austin Seibert comes out after we score the touchdown and misses the extra point. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to just real quick jump up before the halftime, you know, use the use the John. I come back and... Sorry, the John is a toilet in English. There you go. So I come back and Mike's like, you have to see Mike Prefer right now. So when Cybert missed the kick, Prefer basically just loses his mind at him. It's just reading him the business. Cybert doesn't even come to the sideline because obviously he's got to kick off. So somebody chucks him the tee from the sidelines. Prefer goes, you know, a couple of feet onto the field and is still laying into him and ends up throwing his hat, just chews his ass out and says, listen, hey, you know, this has to get fixed is what I'm assuming he says in probably more colorful language. But he is a privilege to watch on the sidelines. Every single special teams play, he is fired up. He's grabbing his guys. He's involved on that one that they downed the punt and it initially went to review. He was in the ref's ear, pointing at the scoreboard, telling him the rules. He's just, he's a very fun and entertaining guy to watch. And I will also just tell you, Austin Seibert's halftime lasted all of about three minutes. He was the last one to go in the locker room almost, and he came out about three minutes later with Jamie Gillen to start kicking field goals with about 12 minutes left. So, you know, Preford definitely is, is, is a very good special teams coach, and regard, you know, regardless of what happens with Freddie and the rest of the guys, I just, Mike Prefer is just a, it's a special, special guy, and I really, really hope he's here for a long time to come. Yeah, it's a really interesting point in that because I just feel that it's a breath of, breath of fresh air when we talk about the special teams. And yeah, some people say, what are special teams? But does it really matter having a good special team? So we've obviously seen the last couple of years having bad special time teams losing silly plays and just losing silly yardage. So uh, we're really excited about special teams. And I think it makes great. And I really hope we don't cut anyone on that special teams. Yeah, they, they got a couple guys. I think Tavier Thomas... Kadero Hodge. I mean, those are definitely guys that are busting their ass on special teams. And I know that Ernest Johnson today stepped in for um, Dontrell Hilliard, had some great returns. You know, opening kickoffs in the air, and Mike's like, 
don't come out, don't come out, don't come out. And then 40-odd yards later, he's like, all right, you can come out. So trust in Prefer. He knows what he's doing, and he's got that unit uh, humming on all cylinders. Excellent. So uh, let's, let's finish off. Any other good stories about what you saw today? Well, yeah, I thought, you know, we are obviously right there behind the bench. James Campen, be after every single offensive series, has all the guys sitting there. They're going over the Microsoft Surface. They're looking at things. Like I said, Wyatt Teller did not take too kindly to being benched. Um, it was really cool to see Odell. You know, I think he gets really a bad rap. Odell Beckham walks the sidelines, talks to Baker, talks to Kareem Hunt, talks to Jarvis, talks to Adam Henry, talks to his lineman, talks to the D lineman. Odell Beckham is not a problem on this team. Odell Beckham is a team guy. He was getting everybody hyped up. When he made that catch in the corner, that, that entire sideline lit up for him. You know, so even after plays where people want to give him shit because he makes the catch, goes off, vomits on the sideline. There was a couple times he sat down, threw a towel over his head, and, you know, had to throw up real quick. That's a story for another day. But, you know, you definitely see how the guys gravitate. I saw Eric Cush, Drew Forbes. You know, you see guys gravitate to Odell Beckham, and I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, so aside from Prefer, you know, really just providing a lot of enjoyment, you know, I, I know you saw it there at the end. Really the only other thing is the end of the game, you know, David Njoku. So game ends, handshakes, not Njoku, just sat there on the bench, took off his tape, took off his bands, just, you know, how would you describe it? Disheveled? I mean, what would you... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it could have been a potential statement just to show the world, I don't think it got picked up with the media, that he's mentally done. It's either him or Freddie. One of them has to go. And I, I, I'm making this up, so I can't really say that's the reason, but it definitely felt like he was not part of the loss. He was not part of the win, if we'd have won. He was separate. And, uh, yeah, it, it was... Um, sad to see because he is first round talent and we need a tight end you know there's, there's no question about it obviously you see what the Ravens have done with their third round pick you know we've we've gambled on a first round pick and yes yeah, we've got a guy that seems to be very athletic but that can't naturally catch a ball well yeah we have well we got a decision to make in this offseason too because you know we obviously have the option to go five years on his rookie deal so we need to make that decision this offseason. And he is extremely talented, but he's got to do what the coaches want him to do if he wants to get on the field. And I don't know, I, I, I would probably be able to guess that his snap count today was not more than about 5, 10, 15 snaps. Wasn't out there all that often. So Was he out there at all, mate? Yeah, he was out there a few times. I saw him out there, um, but definitely not, not a lot. Njuku, Higgins, yeah, it's going to be really interesting, obviously, show, but you got to remember in that a quarter of that roster is going and a quarter's being replaced. Yeah, and I think TJ Carey, Chris Hubbard, those type of guys, yeah, I think they're, uh, they're going to be gone. So you're going to have some names start disappearing off this roster, uh, I would say, in the next couple months. Once again, it's a chat that we can have with Jack around the cap space, and we all know that TJ Curry is expensive. But, you know, we still got this excess cap at the moment. Why not keep some of these players around? Because there's not a lot better out there in the free agent market. 
Well, that, that's a good point, but at the end of the day, they have to renegotiate some of the deals if they want to stay, if they want to be part of building this team, then that's, thing, that's something they're going to have to do. But you got a lot of guys making a lot of money, and you know, if I'm out there and I got Denzel and Greedy, I can't be paying TJ Carey $10 million to play on special teams. I mean, if he wants to stay in Cleveland, that's fine, but let's start uh, restructuring some contracts. Yeah. I'm, I'm a TJ Carey fan. Oh, I love TJ Carey. I was really happy what Dorsey did with Money Mitchell, Gaines, TJ Carey, bringing all them middle-of-the-road callbacks in. I know we overpaid for some of them, but it really looked, it really did add that depth to our quarterback room. And I wish that some of his other gambles were just as successful, but they just haven't been, especially on the O-line. Yeah, I think Kendall Lamb may prove to be somebody that we can hold on to. Um, I know Brian Witzman didn't stick around. Eric Cush really could not solidify the spot after um, Austin Corbett left. So, yeah, the O-line, we gave it a couple swings to the plate, but at the end of the day, nothing really stuck. It's weird how we just can't get this O-line right. You know, for the last three, four seasons, well, really basically since Joe Thomas has um, been injured, we just haven't really seemed to... Uh, <laughs> to gel yeah and not, it's not a very cohesive unit but we start the end of last season we had some great um, grades and some great records of Baker not being um, sacked and now we're looking at it like oh, yeah. he's, he's getting the shit kicked out of him though that's the problem it's you know I mean did you see how skittish his feet he doesn't settle he wants to run he doesn't want to run I mean even that I know it was meaningless but that last interception he threw you know he's like moving around, scrambling, steps up in the pocket. Is he going to run? Tries to force the ball downfield. I mean, he's just not comfortable back there. You can you can easily see it. Be interested. You think we bring uh, Garrett back next year? Miles Garrett? Sorry, um, the quarterback. Oh, Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert, sorry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think he's back. I think they like what they see out of him. I think they really like his connection with Baker Mayfield. So, yeah, I would expect him to be back. So here, step up as the number two, and then we'll just get a, another undrafted free agent sit below. Got to find the next David Blau. Caught a touchdown pass today. Yeah, what a hero. Hey, I think we're just about to go past Purdue uh, University. Oh, no, we have a little bit while to go before we get to Purdue. Oh. All right, Ian, anything else you want to talk about today? Um, What do you think, Freddie Kitchens? He gave a pretty good press conference there at the end of the day. Did he? Yeah, I thought, you know, 850,000 questions about whether or not he thinks he's going to get fired. I mean, he's at least able to crack a joke and go, guys, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to go, stay? Like, what do you want him to do? So I'm sure we'll find out in the next 24 to 48 hours what the Haslam's are planning on doing. Uh, you know, does Dorsey go? Does Kitchens go? Does both of them go? You know, time will tell. But, you know, we're talking about overturning a roster. Well, a new GM and a new coach could lead to 20, 25 new players in this team next year. Well, I'll give you my view is that I think Freddie Kitchens, I think the right business decision is to keep him for one more year. And I know everyone's pulling their hairs out going, Paul, we've got so much talent and he can't do it. It's the play calling. It's the same Hugh Jackson thing, though. He's got to do the play calling and... Did you think the play calling was all that bad today? Was there, I mean, other than that Kareem Hunt line last week, was there any really huge things today you looked at? 
episode. And you were like, oh, this is a massive gaffe or anything like that? Um, not nothing, nothing, uh, nothing major. Obviously, we went for it on four and twenty, which if it didn't, yeah, it was it was make or bust basically at that. That point. was a hell of a throw by Baker though. So, I think a few times around uh, half time, he's made a few bad errors. But yeah, I think I think in in general his play calling's been good. It'd be interesting to see what happens with. Wilkes and Munkins because they're both ex-head coaches teams could come in and, and grab them into better positions I don't think any of them have done anything to improve their CV this year yeah a lot of people thought and I, I, I think Munkin was only a coach on the college level but for the most part um, he was a well sought after candidate and who knows I mean I, we don't know what his day to day involvement is I'm sure he is designing the game plans all week and then him and Freddie meet to go over it all so yeah it'll be really interesting really interesting to see your Freddie Kitchens in I don't know if it's your call or not being Freddie Kitchens but do you keep your uh, DC and OC you know I do um, I just I, I, I run it back I hopefully we can stock up another you know few pieces to add you know, James Campen's been one of the top offensive line coaches for several decades. I have no doubt he'll get that figured out. Um, I really like Stump Mitchell. I like Adam Henry. Um, you know, Ryan Lindley is obviously up and coming as a QB coach. Um, so I just overall, I don't mind the coaching staff. I think we have a lot of talent on the coaching staff. Now I just think we got to fill in that, that kind of middle of our roster. We've, we're very top heavy. We've got 10 or 12 really good guys. And then we've got kind of just a void in that second tier of players. So I'd like to see us fill that void and let these coaches do their thing. All right. If you're Haslam's, do you change anything on the infrastructure of the coaches? I can hear in my head Jack Channing, depot, depot, depot. But as of right now, um, as long as there's no cancerous people in there or any poison pills in the organization, um, I really like what Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith do. So let's just let's just leave it. Let's ride it out and see what happens next year. When you think of it like that, is that we've got a lot of people in potentially lower positions, what they're capable of. Do you think this is causing uncertainty? It's very possible. I mean, I can't see Elliot Wolf or Alonzo Highsmith kicking up a cloud of dust because they're not a GM. I think they're paid handsomely. I think Dorsey's talent evaluation and those guys' acumen and nature of the business. I mean, we remember that Alonzo Highsmith's the one that found Nick Chubb. Um, so, overall, I, I don't know. That, that's, that's a good point, but without knowing the day-to-day -day workings, we're just speculating, to use a Freddie Kitchens word. Um, but I would say no. I think it's just it's a lack of talent, a lack of depth. You know, a couple injuries really just harpoon the season pretty quickly. Next season, as it's the last podcast of the season, today, where do you think we're going to finish? Next year? Yeah. Ooh. If we can sure up the O-line and we can um, get some nice physicality on that defensive line, I could easily, I could easily see us at that ten game mark. I want us to win ten games next year. That's my goal. I want no worse than ten and six.
Alright Ian, well it's been an absolute pleasure to spend a whole 48 hours with you. Hopefully I haven't put you off for coming on the show again. <laughs> no, never. You are a local celebrity. Even after arriving in Cincinnati, we're walking down the street and somebody goes, Hey, you're that English guy I follow on Instagram. Can we take a picture together? So, you know, the people love you and I'm, I, I'm sure they'll forgive you for, get, for getting your, uh, your Union Jack shorts. But overall, uh, congratulations to Adam on his, uh, his party this weekend. And overall, met a lot of great Browns fans. Um, you know, even Adam who came up. Um, we're there from up northern Ohio, so they brought the buses down. Yep. Larry was down. So, a lot of great people, a lot of good times. So, uh, you might want to talk a little bit on Larry's 16 games. Yeah, it's been an absolute amazing season from a tailgating point of view. And I think this year the whole Browns community, is, for myself, has really come together. I think, obviously, if you go Muni Lot every single week, you know a lot of people. But for me, it feels like a lot of different friends, different Browns fans have really come together as as one this season and spent a lot of time tailgating, sharing White Claw, sharing beers, sharing food. You know, it's just great seeing Hayden today. He turned up with uh, Skyline Chili and we cooked it on Larry's Grill and obviously I had diarrhea in the toilets in the Paul Brown Stadium. I had diarrhea, so... Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a, a great community, and I think we should be very lucky of our fans. Obviously, some people didn't like the video I put up about the burning tiger, but my view is, if I see it, I put it up, so um, please don't always shoot the messenger. Yeah, I don't know if people realize, it was not Paul that was lighting the uh, the fire, that was um, some guy with an aerosol can, and you know, to all the people out there saying that it could go to children in need, you know, maybe the Paul Brown podcast will donate some uh, some to a children's charity so we can go ahead and uh, offset that. But, yeah, I mean, it was a good time. Guys were having fun. You know, the weather was not great, but not bad. Um, it, was, it wasn't overall too bad, so. All right, and where can people find the details? Ian19 on Twitter. Excellent. Well, look, guys, it's been an absolutely amazing season. Nine games I went to this season, 75,000 miles. 66 flights, that's work as well. It's been a crazy year. And next year, I'm really looking forward to Dallas, Jacksonville, uh, Nashville, and uh, New York. So, uh, and obviously coming back to Cleveland. I'm looking at definitely five flights to book in April as soon as the schedule comes out. And it'd be great to share as many memories as I have done this year. So thank you to everyone. So I just want to finish up by saying, go Browns. Not come on the Browns, but go Browns. We're going to have some time to relax, reflect. And 2020 is a new decade. It's a new chance for all of us. And go Browns. Go Browns. There's always next year. Just coming into Indi- Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And I can see the stadium. Wow, what an amazing stadium that is.